Hey guys, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today is an overachiever to say the least when it comes to helping others. She served for a total of 23 years in the United States Air Force, 10 of those years as an Air Force nurse. She's a veteran of both Operation Enduring Freedom and Iraqi Freedom, having served a total of three combat deployments, where she honed her expertise and skills as a battlefield clinician. Following her honorable service, she became an ambassador and advocate for persons with post-traumatic stress disorder. She was inducted into the Shiro's United Organization Hall of Fame and traveled to Rome, Italy in November 2016 in order to collaborate with the Vatican and the nation of the Congo and the city of Amatrice, Italy, to help advance a global discussion about eliminating the stigmas associated with PTSD. She was named one of the 25 individuals of influence in June, a 2018 issue of PTSD magazine, and recently joined the Hill Vets, 100 list of top influencers of 2018. She won the daily record top 100 Maryland women for 2016 for efforts with PTSD and was recently awarded the first passion award at the American Veterans Ball. She's a 2020 recipient of the Vetties Veterans Award for Excellence in Mental Health and won Star Nurses Nightingale Award among 600 nominees in September of 2020. She currently serves as the chief medical executive of AMVETS. Sharissa Jackson, thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel, and thanks for being a part. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here and so honored to be here to talk to you today. Absolutely. You know, this is such an important topic because, you know, depending on which, you know, poll you hear or which article you read, you know, our veterans are still committed suicide between 22 and 31 a day. And you know, I think what people need to understand is that what we see in our veteran community is just the microcosm of what we see in our society, because I've gotten recent numbers of as many as 134 to 135 individuals in this country are taking their lives every day, especially dealing with what I think will be our next pandemic, which is a pandemic of mental health issues in the country. So it's so good to talk to somebody who's on the pulse and understands how we and what we need to do to come together to collectively help the least of us who have done so much for all of us. Now, you know, I want to go into this topic, but I want to talk a little bit more beforehand about you and start a little bit about your personal story and your own military service. Tell us where you grew up and what interested you in becoming a part of the military? Yeah, so I grew up in a very small town called Allendale. It's in South Carolina, and I'm fifth of six children. And so I saw my parents actually put three of my older siblings through college, and I saw the struggle that they that they did, um, their financial um, destitute that they 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 went through. And and I knew that I didn't want to do that um, to my parents. And so when it was time for me to to do something after high school, you know, most Southern families give you choices. And so my family always gave us three choices. You either had to go into the military, you had to work, or you had to go to college. And I knew that burdening them with the college expense was not the way to go. And so my brother had gone into the Navy. And so I was telling him about my my circumstance. I'm like, I don't want mom and dad to have to worry about me. And so he said, you know, maybe the military is for you, Sharissa. You are a stellar student. 
I know you'll kick the ass bab in the butt. And so try that. And so that's exactly what I did. And I scored really, really high on the ASVAB, decided to go into um, the Air Force. Glad that I did. And it's provided the path that it's provided me to this day, Montel. So I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that I chose that path. It could have been different. I could have gone in different branches, but I do believe the Air Force was the right branch for me. And, and now you, you enter the Air Force uh, just as a normal troop. I mean, what made you what what made you discover your calling as a nurse? Yeah. So I came in at 17. So my parents actually had to sign for me to come into the military. And it was after a administrative fluke. I had gotten um, accepted into the Air Force Academy. It was time for me to go to Air Force Academy. And they realized at the you know ninth hour that there were some administrative things that weren't done. So I was crushed knowing that I couldn't go to the Air Force uh, Air Force Academy. And so at 17, I said, mom and dad, I need your support. They signed for me to go into the Air Force. I was the logistics officer at first. And so that was just basically um, getting supplies for the F-15s, F-16 aircrafts. And I knew that my life was bigger than that. And I had twin daughters, um, you know, with, with my ex-husband. And I knew that I wanted to serve others, just like I kind of served my parents by coming into the military. And I saw how the nurses took care of my daughters. And, and I was like, man, I can do this. And so I pursued nursing um, from that experience of, of having twins and seeing the nurses take care of my twin daughters. And so now the, uh, um, you jumped ahead kind of quick. So you went in at 17, got married in the service, had twin daughters, then decided to change your MOS from being a supply officer or supply corps tech to going into nursing. Did you go through nursing school in the Air Force? Oh, my goodness. Yes, Montel. And, um, you know, I, I did logistics um, officer work for uh, 10 years. And then um, along the way, from many, you know, relocations, many assignments, I had done my prerequisites. You know, most most um, military folks, if they wanted to go to college, they had to do it part time. And so everywhere I went, every base I went, I, I got my prerequisites for nursing school. And when I got to my last location, which was Charleston Air Force Base, I said I wanted to uh, apply and attempt to go to nursing school. And so I was the first one in my squadron to ever attempt nursing school as a full-time student while still working for the military um, at night. So the military would not release me. So they said, okay, Sharice, this is your dream. This is your goal. Um, if you want to do this, we'll have you work for us at night and you go to nursing school in the daytime. And so that's what I did to complete my bachelor's degree in nursing um, while still on active duty in the Air Force. And then they transitioned your MOS to nursing in the Air Force. Is that what they did? Correct. So when I became a nurse and I passed my exams and I became a bona fide registered nurse, I then transitioned over from being an enlisted person to an officer. And I was then enlisted into the Air Force's nurse corps. And then I became an officer in the nurse corps. And then I, I started working as a nurse from there. And tell me a little bit about your deployments uh, as an Air Force nurse. When, where were you deployed to? So, um, you know, like anything, I, I got skilled really quickly. I, I was an ICU nurse. I was an ER nurse. And so I knew deployment was coming down the pipe. And so sure enough, in 2005 was my first deployment. And I went to Iraq. I, I was at Balad Air Base. Uh, and it was during the height of the war. And so the injuries that I saw, the soldiers that we took care of, um, was, was pretty intense. Um, we were doing six 
12-hour shifts with one day off. Um, we were having rapid fire at all times. And um, we also took care of the insurgents. So most people are under this impression when you are deployed as a nurse, we only take care of our own soldiers. But no, that's not the case. We actually took care of insurgents as well. And so seeing those injuries, I mean, we can go into details, the things that I saw, the amount of troops that we took care of, the pain that these soldiers went through. I was there on the front line as these guys were coming off of the off of the battlefield on those um, Chinooks and those Blackhawks coming in, you know, rapidly throughout the day and throughout the night. And so my first deployment was 2005 to Iraq. And then they sent me back again because of my skills in 2006. And then they gave me a little pause for a few years. And then they sent me to Afghanistan in 2011. And that was my last deployment. Were you at the Kandahar? Uh, I, was. I was. Was, was uh, General Kuntz your uh, CEO then at the time? Um, I'm not sure. I was back in 2011, Montel. I can't remember. Yeah, General, the general's a really good friend of mine. Yep. Um, and, and I know that must have been at 2011. Hmm, that was close to when I went to Afghanistan. So I may have come by and seen you in there or come by the hospital then. But um, I know that at 2011, we were still rockets, red glare, and taking a lot of casualties. You know, did that leave you with, you know, your own form of PTSD? Absolutely. And you know what actually happened in Montel, you know, as a nurse taking care of soldiers who had PTSD, I knew what PTSD looked like. I mean, I was giving the, the, the soldiers those medications at Walter Reed when I came back. So the thing about being a nurse in the military is you, you do that on the battlefield and you come back home and you still have a battlefield that you have to go to because you're still taking care of these troops at the local hospitals. And so for me, when I came back, I was taking care of these troops at Walter Reed. I was taking care of those troops back at Lackland Air Force Base. And so I never kind of, you know, got out of that mode of taking care of troops and, and seeing those injuries. And so every year that I, I went and came back, I was compartmentalizing all of my symptoms. I suppressed them. I suppressed them instead of recognizing what they were doing. And it wasn't until Afghanistan that I had a near-death experience that I came back and um, I had an episode where I was just like, something's just not right. And that episode turned into more episodes. And finally, um, in August um, of 2012, when my daughters were off to college and I was home by myself, that's when all of the memories, all of the smells, everything that I had locked away came back and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I knew when I woke up and I was in the fetal position in a corner of my condo crying with no one to help me, I knew I needed to get some help. And I knew that I was going through um, a PTSD break. And so that was the first sign that I knew I needed help. And then, I mean, what kind of help did you, were you able to get? Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So again, as a nurse, I knew what most soldiers went to, to get. They, they went to get therapy. They, they, they were put on, you know, those classic medications, antidepressants, you know, um, insomnia medications, things of that nature. And so I knew I couldn't go to my command. So I went to um, therapy on my own and immediately the therapist says, Sharice, how can you not have PTSD? The things that you saw in 2005, 2006, 2011, you know, um, there's, there's no other diagnosis that I can give you besides PTSD. And so I went the therapy route for a very long time until I did the medications for anti, uh, antidepressants for a very long time, but I didn't like the way it made me feel. And being a Southern girl grew, growing up in the church, uh, I kind of horny on my spirituality. 
Um, I also thought of exercise as a means for me to, to help my PTSD symptoms. When I would sweat and when I would train for marathons, um, it felt like I was sweating off my PTSD symptoms. So it was important for me to keep those things balanced. Exercise, my spirituality, I would meditate. And these are things still, still, still to this day that I'm doing to kind of keep my PTSD symptoms at bay. But now you're, you're keeping them at bay like so many other are keeping it in check. But, you know, it's tough right now. I mean, when you, when you look at what some of the frontline nurses that are dealing with this COVID pandemic here in the United States are going through, though they don't see the extent of the injuries, the blood and guts that you saw, I think the emotional strain on them is just as severe having to cope with, you know, uh, people coming in that, you know, are you know, uh, sequestered away from their family members and their loved ones. They are the only intermediary that they have to their family. Um, I think that burden um, on them is such that we're not even stopping to think about it the way we should be so far in this country. So, but just putting it in check, is that enough? You know, I, I don't think that's enough, but it, it's, it's my way of, of being able to function every day. I mean, I have a, a very high profile role as the chief medical executive and vet. So I have to be functional. Right. I, I can't do in um, the things of the past. I have to move forward. And I have a daughter that's on the front line. She's a nurse at, at one of the hospitals here in um, in Maryland. And so I, I can't, um, you know, think about just me. I have to think about her mental health and I'm always making sure that she's in check and all of my nursing friends that you know their mental health is in check. But at the end of the day, you, you have to have a, a mentality that's strong. You have to have a good support system. And I think for me, I was able to find those things. And, and just like I mentioned earlier, I, I chose to go down a path that most people don't go down uh, of not relying on medications and, and choosing to find what works for me. And even in the people that I talk to who have PTSD, I say to them that this is your new you. So you can't try and, and claim or uh, chase after that old person that you were. You have to come to grips with who you are and find what works for you. So I always implant that on people that, you know, just find what works for you. Um, stay in that pocket and just continue to do your mental checks. And if you have to get therapy again, if you have to be on medications again, that's that's where you are in that moment. It doesn't mean that's where you're going to stay. Yeah, you know, I think we share, I shared it with you before we started this uh, podcast that there there is a treatment protocol available right now that I am trying in my, as hard as I can to help the creators of get out because, um, you know, we have been kind of stuck in a way in this country and in you know, the treatment system kind of stuck and stupid. Uh, I say that that way, and I'm, I'm not really casting aspersions on people, but, you know, we found something that they had a little bit of faith in, and then we stopped looking beyond. And, you know, science is an evolutionary thing. I mean, it continues to evolve. And so now there is a protocol out there that has literally been considered evidentiary medicine and has shown now an efficacious is up close to 90% in being able to relieve patients of uh, symptoms of PTSD. So, you know, uh, organizations like yours, the AMVETS, let's talk a little bit about AMVETS. I mean, what brought you to AMVETS' door? 
Yeah. So as you mentioned in my bio, I had done some independent work in, in PTSD. When I came, got out the military in 2013, um, I had been on this, this road to just educating and bringing awareness to the community of what PTSD is and was, right? Um, I think P- people thought PTSD was was folks who was zombies out here on medications and they were crazy. And so I, I was on this, this journey to change that perspective. And in doing so, I, I actually had a speaking engagement at uh, West Point. And one of the West Point cadets um, fathers came up to me and he was like, you know, you're so articulate. You're so astute. You got yourself together. You couldn't possibly be someone who has PTSD. And I was like, what does that mean? What is there a certain look? Is there a certain image of someone who has PTSD? So that just made the fire in me grow bigger and better and, and worse because I wanted to change that perspective. And so by doing so, I, I went on this quest to, to educate. I was I was doing speaking engagement, showing people that even me as a clinician, even me as a mother, um, there's ways to cope with and still be functional and still be a good community service person out here with PTSD. And as a result, I didn't even know Anvets was watching what I was doing on social media. I didn't know anyone was actually watching um, up on that level until they came and they said, you know, you didn't know this, but we were vetting you, seeing what you were doing out here. And we believe in what you're trying to do. And we want you to come and run our HEAL program and be our chief medical executive. And I was floored because this was the first opportunity, Montel, that this VSO ever had a female veteran of color in this role as a chief medical executive. And as a result of all of that, I'm one of the only female of color, veteran females that is in a role in any of the VSOs as a chief medical executive. Mm-hmm. So I, I take that this this role, I take this appointment, if you will, at heart because it, it carries a lot and I can do a lot. And I continue to show that there's um, ways that you can cope with your PTSD and to be on the level that I'm, that I'm at in order to change that stigma that's in the community right now. Now, you, you wrote a book. It's called a memoir. It's called at peace, not in pieces. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Which is a bestseller, by the way, I should say. And if people want to get it, can they get it on Amazon? We're going to go. Yeah, they can get it on Amazon. Thank you for, for those kudos. Um, yeah. So basically, as I was going through my PTSD, um, you know, out here working with the community and, and talking about my story, uh, I had to realize that my story is no longer my story, Montel. And so it wasn't until Prevention Magazine. I talked to Prevention Magazine back in 2015. And I was like, oh, my God, if I disclose what I'm dealing with, the whole world is going to know. My family is going to know. My kids are going to know because no one had known up until then, Martel, that I had had PTSD. I was able to totally, you know, just just mask it in, 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 in a great way where I was still functioning as a stellar nurse at Walter Reed. I was still a good mom. I, I thought I was still a good friend. Um, and so I had masked it for so many for so many years. And so when Prevention Magazine came and said, we want to do a story on you because you can impacts you know, a lot of people's lives. I said, oh my God, I'm onto something. And now my story is no longer my story. So as a result, I started documenting and started journaling my thoughts and the things that I had overcome. And I, I put it in this book. It's, it's called At Peace, Not In Pieces to show people that you can be at peace, P-E-A-C-E, through your challenges, through your struggles and not be broken into pieces. And so it's, it's basically my way of giving someone a, a journal 
a way of dealing and coping with their own struggles and, and, and challenges, not just about PTSD. It's about being a single mom of twin daughters when I went through a bitter divorce, being in financial ruins. I mean, you talk about broke. I was broke even in the military going through um, a divorce. Talking about being deployed and having to be a single mom. So this book is for everyone and it, it allows you to really hear my story in each one of the chapters and document, you know, little tips that you can take to use in your own life. And maybe show you that some of your story is part of their story, right? Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Now, you also have a nonprofit organization that's called Project Give Hope that helps women with cervical cancer. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, my. So, again, a, a woman of service, I, I knew when I left the military, I would continue to give back to the community as a clinician. I feel, you know, I, I still want to, you know, serve in some capacity. And so I actually went to Uganda in 2017. My very first medical mission wasn't mine. It was through another nonprofit. And I wanted, wanted to get my feet wet and see what it meant. And I felt as though we had, um, you know, we, we didn't do the, the job that I thought we could do on that medical mission. Again, I was not the leader. I was not the person in control of the mission. So I kind of just walked the path that they wanted us to walk. But I knew that uh, we didn't do a good service to those Ugandans that we were supposed to help. So on my flight back, on that very long flight back, um, God had given me a vision to say, you know, I, I want you to go back and I want you to do it your way. And as a result, I created Project Give Hope, where we actually help underserved communities who um, may be rampant, cervical cancer may be rampant. And so what we do is we take a medical device and we actually treat cervical cancer on, you know, in 20 seconds. So our slogan is saving a life in 20 seconds. So we're giving um, women who may not have medical care, insurance, anything like that, the means to get screened for precancerous lesions on their cervix. And we get to treat them on the spot in 20 seconds to save their lives. And so I went back in 2018. I came, you know, came back and I was like, this is my passion. I got support, sponsorship. We went back in 2018 did the project at a screening center in Uganda, and we're projected to go back um, in Nigeria, to Nigeria this year to do the project again. So again, trying to save lives, serving others, that's who I am. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out how do you find the time? Because clearly AMVETS must give you some time off to be able to do this, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, I'm a smart girl. So when I came on with AMBES, I was very, you know, direct with them saying, you know, not only do I do my work with veterans, but I do my work with uh, women's health and, and, and here's my project. And I don't want my role as chief medical executive to hinder my project with Project Give Hope. So what I do is I accrue all of my leave. And when I go on my three to my two to three week missions, I have enough of leave accrued that I can go and do these missions each year. Oh, that's excellent. I'm sure that they support you in, in that endeavor wholeheartedly, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely, sir. And AMVETS prides itself on being one of the most inclusive congressionally chartered veteran service organizations dating back to 1944, serving the interest of 20 million veterans with more than 250,000 members. You are, again, the chief medical executive for AMVETS. And AMVETS did something that a lot of these other VSOs have not done. And that is you came out wholeheartedly supporting cannabis for our veterans. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? 
Oh, man. So again, I, being the chief medical executive, the expectations for me to bring different topics to the table, to bring different discussions and different options for our veterans to the table. And the HEAL program is a program where we help veterans do healthcare evaluation, advocacy and legislation. So any of those pillars, I'm able to help veterans, which is why we won the VETI Awards. And so when I discovered that AMVETS had a resolution that says we're in support of cannabis and um, veterans have an access to cannabis and cannabis research, I was like, why are we sitting on this legislation? Why isn't someone moving this forward? And it was just at the perfect time, um, Montel, because we noticed that a lot of stakes were coming legal. Maryland had become um, uh, medicinal. So it was a great time for us to talk talking about this topic. And so last quarter, I went to our executive director. was like, hey, I, I have enough knowledge. You know, I'm in the cannabis space. Uh, I've done a couple of podcasts, a couple of interviews. I've gotten a certification. You know, I can speak intelligently on on this plant and how it can be an option for veterans. And so um, I got full support from AMVETS to go out here and push um, our legislation, as well as present this as an option for veterans who are suffering with mental health. Again, one thing I hear in Congress all the time is, you know, what's the solution to veteran suicide? What are some opportunities we can, we can chase to, to help veterans with suicide? And so I'm presenting this not only to Congress, but to the VA that using cannabis should be an option, should be an alternative for veterans who um, are, are contemplating suicide, who are on those opioids and can't get off of those opioids. And why not? Um, veterans or, or those veterans that are stuck on that fifth of that fifth of some brown liquor every night when they go home. Exactly, Montel. And so the HEAL program is about bringing that holistic approach to how we offer services and resources to our veterans. And so that's that's what I'm out here um, providing information on for veterans to understand the plant, to understand the efficacy of what it can do, and to help the VA and, and Congress understand that veterans should have options. And this is the option. Do you do you have uh, like, you know, information on your website that talks about this so that veterans can Go to it. Where would they go to? Where would they go? Yeah, so they can go to um, amvetshealprogram.org. Uh, I have begun starting um, some some, inf put some information on there about our cannabis conference that's coming up. And within that cannabis conference, we'll have multiple panels talking about the plan itself, the different conditions that it is being used for. We're bringing in legislation. We've already got some confirmations of different legislators across the country that want to give a spotlight to why they're supporting the efforts of cannabis and, and it being something veterans can use. And so at the end of the day, anything that a veteran needs, they can go to our HEAL program and we can support them in finding resources. Yeah, talk a little bit about that conference or a little bit more about that conference in June. I'm speaking at your conference, Mona. <laughs> Yes, you are. You are. And I so appreciate that you have you, you are you will be our keynote speaker. And the cannabis conference is called the Veterans Alternative Healthcare Conference or Healthcare Summit. And I coined it that way is because I don't want people to think, oh, my God, all Sharice is going to be doing is talking about cannabis on that day. Well, it, it's, that's not the case. We, we want to talk about a holistic approach to taking care of veterans and veterans conditions. And so the conference is going to be on June 27th um, is virtual. Um, and I chose June 27th because it's PTSD Awareness Day. So what other better way to, to talk about PTSD and, and a solution or an option than to have it on that day? And it's virtual from 9 a.m. until 6 p.m. is is um, a day full with lots of panels. Of course, you would be the keynote speaker. Um, we are introducing a documentary that I'm doing called I Am a Veteran and I Use Cannabis. 
And we'll be sharing some some little teasers um, of showing veterans talking about openly their use of cannabis and what cannabis has done to change their lives. Um, we will have a pitch competition on that day as well. So if a veteran's interested or has an idea in the cannabis space, um, we, we, we have that opportunity for veterans to pitch their ideas. And last but not least, we're giving an award to a female veteran and a male veteran who is doing great work in the cannabis industry. Now, where should people go if they want to sign up to be a part of that conference? Yes, sir. It would be amvetshealprogram.org. It was where they'll go. And the pre-registration form is already there. And if they're a veteran, it's free. And when open registration starts in a few weeks, um, those who are non-veterans, it'll be $22 in, a, in you know, respect and observance of 22 veterans die a day. And then for businesses, it's $220. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure that you know, we're here for us to talk about it. It's just very easy here on Let's Be Blunt With My Tongue. <laughs> you know, this is a, a pro-positive thought process around cannabis, and yeah. we know what it does for lots of things. But you've got to be getting some pushback. What's your pushback been? You know, the pushback has been, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, from the organization as a whole, you know, um, our, our organization is an old organization. So most of the veterans and most of the people within the organization are, are the older generation veterans. And so they think of, of cannabis as weed and you're trying to keep us high, Sharissa, and why do we need to be high and how is being high going to, you know, help me with my problems and my condition. But it's not until I break it down and tell them about the efficacy of the plant that it changes their perspective. So even within the organization, I'm having to change their perspective so that they know why this push is necessary. They know why they're supporting me. So that's that's been something that's ongoing. And how about outside of your organization? What kind of pushback have you gotten from people who are just looky-loos looking in? Yeah, so the looky-loos, they're, they're looking. They're looking to see what else is this girl going to create. They're looking to see what else she's going to do. However, in the veteran community, the veterans are asking those important questions. You know, Sharissa, how is this going to help with my back pain? How is this going to help with my insomnia? How is this going to help with, even for females, my endometriosis? And so I find that veterans are very inquisitive because they are looking for options. However, the looker, the lookers uh, outside of that, they, they're also kind of, you know, like, are you sure this is something that you want to tap into? Because the negative connotation is still out there. And I'm sure now when AMVETS goes before Congress or goes before some of your legislators, what do they have to say? They say, well, we, we were happy with AMVETS until you got on board this cannabis thing, especially when you're looking at an administration right now that just recently fired people for their prior cannabis use and an organization that's still you know, uh, the, uh, sorry, an administration that, you know, six months before they came in office, you know, our president was still claiming that cannabis was a gateway drug. And so what are we going to do or what is AMBED's going to do to try to help educate politicians and others, not just in a conference way, but how are you going to step forward after this conference to tell the world, look, this is something that we really need to look at seriously. And I, and I think, you know, at Montel, what we've done, unlike other VSOs, is bring this to the forefront in Congress. And one of the things I got our national commander, who, by the way, is the first ever female national commander in AMVETS's organization after 75 years, um, I got her and convinced the organization that this was important enough to have in her congressional testimony. So just last month, she put in her congressional testimony um, the discussion about us having this conference 
talking about our um, resolution about cannabis. And so far, we've gotten great reviews from, from congressmen that's in Congress who are supporting different bills for cannabis. And so they're reaching out to us asking, you know, how can you guys support us and get some of these bills across you know, to the finish line? So, um, you know, it's, it's mixed emotions and mixed feelings out there. And I think that's because of education. The more people become aware, I think it'll change their perspective. And Shresha, what can more people do to help you? I mean, you know, you're not an island, so, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you can use some support. What would you suggest people do? Would you have them write their congressman? Would you have them write letters to AMVETS? How do you want them to help you? You know, I think the here and the now is getting as many people out to this conference as possible, Montel. The conference is, is pretty much our coming out, if you will, for people to really see what AMVETS' stand is on, on cannabis. I'm just a lonely soul. My program is, 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 is very small. It's only self-sustaining if I get funds um, through efforts like this. So I have to go out here and push out my initiatives in order to get funding for my program. So I would say immediately, I would want people to go out here and support the conference, register. Um, and if you want to donate, donate. If, if you um, you know, want to do anything else, you can certainly reach out to me and we can discuss those efforts. But right now, I'm planning the conference and making it as successful as possible, um, supporting the HEAL program. All You can see all of that information on the HEAL page um, would be what I would ask folks to do. And just uh, since we have been talking about the suicide issue among our vets, we've discussed it a couple of times. If, in fact, a vet happened to be looking and watching now, where would you tell them to go if they were an extremist today or tonight or tomorrow? Yeah, that's a good question, Montel. I, I, I would tell all veterans, you know, if you're in immediate crisis, definitely call the veterans hotline, definitely call the ER. What I'm learning as an assist trainer, and um, I'm a suicide uh, um, interventionist, is that a lot of veterans or anyone dealing with suicide, they don't want to die. They just want the pain to go away. And so they're looking for that opportunity just to have that pain just go away. And so it's a matter of understanding what they're experiencing and being able to talk to them in a way to let them know that they can be safe in that moment and that taking their life is not going to rid them of their problems, but we can find ways to help them just live their best lives. And so for anyone that's in a crisis, definitely reach out to the ER, you know, call the veterans hotline. You know, you can call AMVETS if you if you want to. We have interventionists ready and willing to to deal with crises like this. But again, it's, it's important that everyone knows that, you know, we're here to support them in any way possible. Well, you know, I got to tell you something. This has been such a pleasure and joy having you on today and having your your infectious spirit on today on Let's be blah, blah, Montel. And like I said to you, um, I will make sure that we get you some information about the RTM program, which is a reconsolidation of traumatic memories. And um, maybe that's something that uh, you can think about and take a look at and see if that's something that the uh, AMVETS could help support also. Because I'm going to tell you, uh, like I said here, you know, this is a protocol that's been around now for about 10 years, created about 11 years ago, literally has been through every, you know, checkpoint that it needs to go through. It is ready for a prime time. This could start mm -hmm. saving lives today, not next month, but today. Yeah. And I think we really need to get this out there and put it in the toolbox. I mean, you know, even if it's not the only thing, mm -hmm. it can be one of those other additional weapons that we use in our arsenal. So I'll make sure we get information to you about that. And, you know, one more time, do another shout out about your conferences coming up. So make sure people know where to go. 
Yeah, absolutely. The Veterans Alternative Healthcare Summit will be on June 27th. It's a virtual conference from 09 o'clock to 6 p.m. You can go to mvetshealprogram.org to pre-register. And one more time, if they want to get a copy of your book, I'm in pieces. Uh, what, what was the title again? It's um, at peace, P-E-A-C-E, not pieces. Um, not you can go to to order a copy. Okay, absolutely. Well, look, thank you so much for being a part. You always have a home here. Uh, if you have anything you want to get out, any words you want to spread, let us know. We'd love to have you back. Um, you're doing really, truly God's work, and you're doing some good work, so stay at it. Make sure, though, that like, you know, so many who try to help so many, we forgot to help ourselves. And so, you know, do what you've been doing well, and that's checking in with yourself every now and then and making sure that you shore yourself up. And I say thank you again. And uh, God bless you. Stay at it. Stay well. Keep your family safe. And uh, we'll see you at the convention. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Absolutely. You enjoy too. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Uh, 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 uh